I love it when these young people that are taking lessons play. I think it's good for them. It's good practice. It gives them an incentive as they're practicing. But I think it's good for us. I know it's good for me. And I appreciate it very, very much. I get to hear them more than anyone because the place they practice is right next to my office. So I get to hear them sometimes or I'll go down a hall and they're in there playing. And most of them have had me stick my head in and they're playing um, some song, maybe some Christmas song. And I said, I know that song. Say something completely different. It really encourages them. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I appreciate them very, very much. We're going to be in Psalms tonight. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Sunday, if you were here, Sunday evening, you might remember that we looked at a passage in John's Gospel uh, that dealt with our will versus God's will. Our will and God's will. How do we, can we discern God's will and, and, uh, and how the surrender, really, just to kind of review, the surrender of our will makes it possible, more possible for us to know God's will. And, we, and you say, well, how do you surrender to something that you don't even know what it's going to be? You do it by faith, really. And I never would have understood this early on in my life. I would have thought, you know, well, if God knows everything, he can tell me the whole, he can give me the, all the details up front. But he doesn't work that way. He just wants us to be surrendered to him and yielded to him. And so these, to me, this is a very practical subject because all of us need to know God's will. We were singing that song just a moment ago, Jesus led me all the way. And... Um, that doesn't mean that every step we take is always God's will, but it does mean He has a will, and He can lead us. He can help us know what His will is for us. And this impacts us probably on a daily basis, I'm sure more than we realize sometimes. And so one of the questions that comes up to me on this subject is, how willing am I to do God's will? You know, how... how how willing am I to know what God's will is and to do what, what God's will is? And, and I think if we would be honest, uh, there are times when we know something is God's will and yet we don't want to do it. As a matter of fact, you'd be a very unusual character if there's ever been, you'd say, well, there's never been a time that I didn't want to do God's will because most of us have faced those situations. Something we've like I said the other night, it's just something as simple as apologizing when you've done something wrong, going to a person and saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Most of us don't really, you know, that doesn't really give us great joy to be able to do that. So we don't always want to do the right thing. But tonight's lesson, I want to, I want to really focus in really on what it says to us when we're not willing to do God's will. I think it says something to us. And we see it in this passage. We're going to look at a number of passages tonight, but if you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading, and we're just going to read a few verses now from Psalm 110. You'll notice it's a Psalm of David, and this is what we read, Psalm 110 verse 1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. David is speaking. And if you're looking at your Bible there, just in case you've never noticed this, 
the first word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, which is Jehovah. Um, but the second word Lord is capital L, little o, little r, little d. And if it's the first time you ever notice that, you may think that's a, that must be a misprint or something. But no, they're translation from two different words. The second word is Adonai. So, so it's really saying that God, Jehovah, said to Adonai, and this is a messianic psalm. It's about, it's about Jesus, really. So the Lord said unto my Lord, and the, and the second Lord having to do with the Messiah, the coming one, Christ, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And the Hebrew people knew that that was a reference to the coming Messiah. And we can see that in the Gospels. Verse 2 it says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. Now I want to focus on the first part of verse 3 and look at it in its context, but also in an application that I think we can all relate to. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. That's, a, that's an interesting phrase. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. You, they'll be willing to do what you want them to do. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we just pray that as we spend time together in our Bibles, that God, we could just open our hearts and receive with meekness the engrafted word. And, and Father, we know that the enemy is always working to distract us and to cause us to doubt or various things. We just pray that with our, with our sincerity, we could just be attentive and that, Lord, you would work in our hearts through your word and help us to better understand your will and do your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, again, this is a psalm of David, and Jesus, when he talked about it in Matthew and the other Gospels, he referred to it as a psalm that David wrote. And uh, Jesus actually used this passage to sort of confound the Jews. I'm going to go to a number of passages tonight, so please mark, put something there in Psalm 110 to help you keep coming back to that. But let's just go to one example of this in Matthew chapter 22. And just read a few verses where Jesus uses this text to shed some light on himself. Uh, Matthew 22 and verse 41, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, Matthew 22 and verse 42, saying, notice what he asked the Pharisees, What think you of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, the son of David. He would come through the lineage of David. He would be a descendant of David, of course. Verse 43, he saith unto them, how then, Jesus said to them, how then doth David, there's, da there's Jesus affirming that David actually wrote the psalm. How, how then doth David in spirit call him, Jesus, the Messiah, 
Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, and notice the same spelling there in the New Testament, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then Jesus said, If David called him, the Messiah, Lord, how is he his son? which he is his son. He is, Jesus is, the Messiah is a descendant of David. But they didn't know what to do with that, verse 46. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Now let's go back to Psalm 110. And I turn to that just to, just to say again that we know this is a, this Psalm of David is a Psalm about the coming Messiah. What I want to point out and notice in verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool, till I make them submit, be under me. And then he says in verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And so we see, I see a contrast here between his enemies whom he will force, he will make to obey him. By the way, there will be people in, in the millennium that may not agree in the millennial reign of Christ, who may not agree with him, but they're going to obey him. And we, may not, we don't understand all that this means, but it says right there that he would ru- rule them. Um, if you look down in verse, well, look at verse 2, it says, He shall send the rod of his strength. And in the, New, in the gospel, in Revelations, in the gospel, Jesus said that he would rule over his enemies with a rod of iron. So he's going to rule over them. But there's a difference in the way Jesus wants to rule his enemies and the way he wants his children to obey him. And the difference is he wants them to be willing to do his will. My people, he says there in verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. There's a difference in being willing and being made to do something. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's a big difference. Um, so in a, in a sense, there's in this text really a passage uh, or, or context about, about the difference in being willing to do something and being made to do something. And I know you've pondered this perhaps. I know I have. There are people who seem to have this idea that it would be easier for us if God just made us like robots. And we just obey. We were, he just programmed us. And so we don't have to think about going to church on Wednesday night. We're just programmed to do it. And we just do it. And we don't have to think about reading our Bible. We just, it's, but God doesn't do that. God wants us to be willing to do his will. That means God wants us to want to do his will. And that's really what I want to think about tonight. This matter of wanting to do what God wants us to do. God wants us to want to serve Him. God wants us to want to love Him. He wants us to want to worship Him. He wants us to want to love Him. God, this is what God wants for us. That's what God wanted for Adam and Eve, and that's what God wants for us. And so, what is it that influenced these people To be willing, in verse 3, it says, Thy people shall be willing. They'll want to. They'll be willing. They'll desire to in the day of thy power. 
which basically, if I were to paraphrase that, what I, what I get out of that is, when God is working in my life, it will result in me wanting to do His will. And you know, I've said this a lot of times over the years, and I, I firmly believe it. It's one thing to do God's will because someone makes you do it. It's another thing to do God's will because you want to do it. And this is such, this is a package deal that, 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 that God has made it so, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. God's made it so that if we let Him work in our life, we're not only going to do the right thing, we're going to want to do the right thing. And if a person doesn't learn to do that, if a young person, you know, there are probably young people here tonight, I know there are young people here tonight, who didn't really even have a say about being here tonight. <laughs> right? Mom and dad didn't say, hey, would, do you want to go to church tonight? They didn't say that. And the reason why? Because they know all of you just wanted to go to church tonight. They didn't have to ask you. Not always the case. But we know this. A, a person could go to church because their parents require them to go to church. But if they don't, at some point in time in their life, create a desire in their own heart to do that, mom and dad can't make them go, right? And I, I know, I, can, I think I can say this about every adult that's here tonight. Nobody made you come to church. Now, you... Don't correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe your wife told you you had to come or whatever. But, but I'm assuming that as adults we came because we wanted to. But what this, what this tells me is, and, and I'm gonna, we'll see it in some other passages, is that when God is working, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Let's, okay, keep this place marked if you would. Now go to another place that, that says this in, a, in the New Testament in the same way. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. And I hope that you'll, if you don't have this place in Philippians marked or underlined or something, I would encourage you some way to do that because it's such an important passage. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not only when I'm there, but now much more in my absence. You actually obey more when I'm not there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the, the four in verse 13 obviously ties that to the 12th verse. Four, notice this, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God influences our desires. If it's God that worketh in you. If I, I'll say this again probably before the night's out, but if I want to do what's right, I can't take any credit for it because I believe it's a result of God's grace in our life. God not only helps us do what's right, God helps us to want to do what's right. And there's something to me better than doing what's right. And that is doing what's right because you want to do what's right. Because it's, you're not made to do it, you want to do it. And all of this ties in to how do we, about knowing God's will. You know, just because you or I, just because we don't want to do something, 
doesn't make it wrong. It could be the right thing. Just because we want to do something doesn't make it right. It could be the wrong thing, but we want to do the right thing. So here's a question that I want to use this passage to kind of think about together, and that is this. What does it say about me if I um, consistently or regularly don't want to do God's will? Does that say anything about me? And I think it does say something about us. Just, let's just think about any command tonight. You, you could imagine something that you say, well, I know this is what God wants me to do. I, for instance, I think we would universally agree with this. If, you're, if we're Christians, God wants us to witness to people. Now, it's very possible there are people sitting in this room who would say, if I were to ask the question, do you believe that God has clearly commanded us to witness to other people, you'd probably raise your hand. And yet, you would also raise your hand if I said, are there, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but are there lots of times when you have opportunity to witness to people, and yet you don't really want to do it for some reason? And the answer often would be, yeah, that's true, it does happen. And you could say about a lot of things. If I could ask these children, most of them would get, get the, uh, they'd pass this pop quiz. If I were to ask them, do you believe that God has clearly commanded you to obey your parents? And if they believe the Bible, they'd say yes. And if I were to ask them, are there times when you don't want to obey your parents, even though you know it's God's will? Should I ask them? No, I'm not going to do it. But the truth is, many of them would say, there are times when my parents want me to do something. I know, I know God would want me to do it. But I, and we could just list a lot of things, whether it's studying your Bible or spending time in prayer or, or giving generously to God's work or, or just serving the Lord in some capacity or, or forgiving people who offend us. Every one of us would say, yes, I know that's God's will. And yet the truth is, sometimes we don't want to do what God wants us to do. And if I, if, if you or I could have the power, the ability for ourselves to be more willing to do God's will, I would think most of us would want to do that. I want to be more willing to do what God wants me to do. And, I, and really, that's kind of what this lesson is about. Uh, so I want you to just imagine this. Imagine, put on your imagination hat. When I was a kid, we said, we would say, let's play like. I don't think kids say that anymore. Let's, let's, let's play like. I'll play like I'm the bad guy. You play like you're the good guy. But let's imagine that, just imagine that you always wanted to do the right thing. Always. Imagine that. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's how I live. I always, but most of us, no, there are times that we, don't, we resist. We don't really want to do. We don't always want to love our enemies. We don't always want to bless those who curse us. We don't always want to put other people before us. And yet that's what Philippians tells us. Paul wrote that. That we're to put other people before us. We don't always want to do that. But we want to. We want to. Have you ever heard it? Maybe you've said this or you've heard somebody say this. You know, I want to be willing to do it. And I believe God gives us some, some 
scriptural wisdom on how we can be willing if we really want to want to do the right thing. That would be an amazing place to me to be. I'm not there. It'd be an amazing place to be that every time something came up, I just was just absolutely 100% on board, desiring to do what God wants me to do. Now, first of all, let me just say this, because I think it, it kind of is foundational. The new birth, getting saved, should create in us a desire to please God. Now, we may not always desire to do everything, but the new birth, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We're born again. We have a, we have a new desire. Um, are you still open there in, in Philippians? If you are, go to the left a little bit to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. We're going to get back perhaps to Psalm 110. But Romans chapter 7 is a, is a very enlightening passage. It's sort of a challenging passage when you go through it. But it's really, I'm going to read a few verses. But before I read it, I'm going to kind of just paraphrase um, what Paul is writing about. And the, what he's writing about is there's a part of him that always wants to do the right thing. There's another part of him that struggles against it. And all of us have lived with that. In Romans chapter 7, let's just read a few verses. Beginning in verse uh, 18, he says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, parentheses in my flesh, that's talking about the old man. That's talking about his carnal life, his carnal self. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And notice he makes a bit of a transition here. He says, for to will is present with me. To will means for to do the right thing, to want to do the right thing that's present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I can't, I just can't always do the thing I know. I'm not always doing the thing I know I should do, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, every one of us have been there at some point in time. You know, there's something that I know I should be doing and I'm not doing. There's something I know I should not be doing and I am doing it. We shouldn't live there, but we've all been there. Verse 20, now if I do that, I would not. If I do something and I know that it's not what I should do, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's that sinful nature that... that carnal flesh that we all have to deal with. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, every time I'm wanting to do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22 describes, I mentioned earlier, the new birth brings an inner desire to do God's will. It's really expressed in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now that sort of defines a Christian. A Christian has a part of him that wants to obey God. Now, if you don't have that in you, then you ought to question whether you're really saved. I, del I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but, that the sentence doesn't end at verse 22, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, that's in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. And he goes on to say our only deliverance is through Christ. But the point is, even in Paul, there's this struggle. The struggle between 
what I know is God's will and me, a part of me wanting to do God's will, but what's another part of me, which is that carnal part of me, that resists that and doesn't always want to do God's will. It's, and a part of the Christian life is, first of all, recognizing that and then find, figuring out how to navigate it. You know, when Jesus, uh, the other night, Sunday night, we talked about that passage in the Gospels when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, if there be any way to remove this, front, this cup from me, then I'll, please do so, but it's not, not what I want, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus instructed the disciples before he even got to that point, Jesus said this, I'm gonna, I want you to pray for me. I want you to watch and pray, I think he said, lest you enter into temptation. And he said this, the spirit indeed is what? Willing. But the flesh is weak. There's a, part, there, there's a part of you folks, when you start to pray, I want you to pray for me. And the, there's a part of you, the spirit part of you, the spiritual man, wants to do this. It's willing. It's willing to do what's right, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh works against that. So, how, to me, a part of what I want to learn to do as a Christian is to let that part of me win out, that part that's willing that willingness, the, the fact that I want to do what's right. Now, everybody got saved at different times in their life and different stages and different situations. But one of the things that I, that I know happened when I was saved is I started wanting to do stuff I never wanted to do when I was lost. I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to pray. I'm not saying I was perfect, but I wanted to do different. I didn't want to go to the places I'd been going. I didn't want to rebel against my mother. I didn't want to do these things. I wanted to do, the, I wanted to be a better husband. I wanted to be a better father. You know why? All that, I, that didn't come from studying a book. It came from being born again. He changes us inside. We have this desire, and it's that willingness. Think about this. Just think about this. Take a person like myself that was adult when I, I was an adult when I got saved. I already had a family, and I I was living a very uh, sinful life, and so I get saved. And all the things that that we normally think of that are associated with Christians, as far as loving your family and going to church and witnessing and reading your Bible and worshiping God and, 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 and loving God, all these things just became a part of our life. Nobody taught us this. It, just became, it, was our, it was our life. But you know what? Sometimes after we've been saved for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, some of those things that we just wanted to naturally do, nobody taught us to want to go to church or want to love God. That's just what we wanted to do. But down the road, after a while, sometimes that, that want, our wanders not working the same way. Have you ever noticed that? We don't have that same desire. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means something is amiss. Your warner needs to be fixed. You know, you have to, you have to have, and that's really what, I go back to that verse in Psalm 110. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. There's a when God is working 
in people's lives, there it, it, a part of what's associated with that is a desire to do what God wants us to do. And so, what does our willingness say about us? If there's a person, I, I don't, maybe nobody here would fit this, but it's, I'll just illustrate. If there's a person sitting and you say, well, I just never want to read my Bible. I don't really even want to go to church. Mom or dad make me go to church. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I really wanted to witness to somebody. Your, your willingness or lack of willingness is saying something to you. And it, that's not normal for a Christian. That should, be that, that should not be the norm for a Christian. Because if God's working in our life, we're going to want to do more of what He wants us to do. It is God that worketh in you. Both the will and to do of His good pleasure. If someone were to say to me, if someone were to come to me and say, Preacher, I want you to explain something. I've been sort of just uh, spiritually lethargic, not really just energized to serve the Lord, and, and I haven't been witnessing like I should. But I've just noticed in the last week or two that I've been more concerned about lost people. I just feel like I'm burdened to give people a gospel track. I even find myself, well, how would you explain that? And in a general way, this is how I explain it. God is working in that person's life. Because that's not natural, normal, for a person to want to do that. That willingness, in a part, comes from God. And if, we're un, if I'm unwilling, if I just could list all these things like I did earlier and say, you know, I believe I'm saved, but I'm just not willing to do any of these things. You know what it says based on all the verses we looked at so far? What it says is our flesh is having more influence in our life than the Spirit of God is. The flesh that doesn't want to obey God. This flesh that doesn't want to deny self. It's really having too much influence in our life. And really, to me, that, that in itself ought to be a, a warning to us, like a, a check engine light. There's something wrong in your life. I don't think sometimes people recognize it. They wonder, why is, it, why, why is there a certain person, they seem to be in church, they, they seem to be okay, and then all of a sudden they just crash and burn spiritually. And often it's because they didn't recognize the danger they were in even while they were coming to church. And I'm not saying this is the only way to recognize it, but it's one way to recognize it. When the things of God become things that you really don't want to do, you're not willing to do more than, you, than, than they should, then there's something wrong in your life spiritually. And there needs to be a fix. And being saved again, you don't have to get saved again. Once you're saved, you're eternally saved. It's just saying that God is not working like He once did. If you're in Romans, go to the right just a little bit if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here Paul... I think spells this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when I get to the end of this, I just want to really give a, what I think is uh, at least one thing we can do to really help turn this around in our life if it applies to us. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, look in verse uh, 10. Paul says, But by the grace of God... I am what I am. Any good thing in me is because of the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, 
which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. And I think any one of us who knows what the Bible testifies about Paul, we would, we would say he's not boasting, he's not bragging. No, I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody was more energized, passionate about the will of God than Paul was. And yet he's, and he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And then, but notice the last part of verse 10. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, it wasn't me. I, I, the, you know, God's grace in my life is the reason I am who I am. He was a missionary. He's a church planner. He's an evangelist. He was a witness. He was a martyr eventually. But he said, it's all because of the grace of God. It's not because of anything I did. And he said, I labored more abundantly than anybody. He said, I think I, I gave it more of my energy than anybody else. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. So where does the desire come from? It comes from the grace of God. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't even come from trying harder. I can't try hard enough to make my desires be what they ought to be. You can't try harder. and You can try harder and do more. You can try harder and read more. You can try harder and come to church more. You can try harder and give out more tracts. But you can't try harder and make yourself desire more. That comes from God. That's the grace of God. And young person, I want you to just try to take this in and think about this. God has something better for us as Christians than always doing things we don't want to do. You know what he has? He wants to make it where we desire to do the things he wants us to do. To want to, to have a willingness to. So here's another question. Let's just suppose, let's imagine that someone's here tonight and they say, well, man, I want that. I want to... I want to increase my willingness. By the way, that should matter to all of us. Every last one of us. Because I've discovered something about life. People tend to do the things they want to do. Have you noticed that? And often people tend to not do things they don't want to do. So what we're talking about tonight is not just more things to do. It's how can we have a better desire to do the things we ought to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. If I, if I were to think about people in the church that have a real desire to serve the Lord, it's hard to get those people not to serve the Lord. You know why? Because they want to. They don't have to be browbeat. They don't have to be threatened put a guilt trip on them. They just want to serve. And why? it's not because they're super saints. It's because there's something in them that just wants to serve. They want to serve the Lord. And it's just as true to try to make somebody, make somebody serve the Lord when they don't really have a desire to serve the Lord. I was, I was thinking today with this in mind. Let's go to the Old Testament for a moment. Go to Exodus chapter 35. And this has to do with the period of time when they're getting the instructions for the tabernacle and building the furniture 
for the tabernacle and the sacrifices. But let's just look at an example of this in Old Testament life. Look in, and I just want to highlight some verses. Look in Exodus 35 and verse 5. Moses is speaking. And he says, Take you from among you an offering unto the Lord. And I have the next phrase underlined in my Bible. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And we see this phrase repeated. Look in verse 21. And they came everyone whose heart stirred him up. His, everyone whom his spirit made willing. There it is again. His heart is in it. His heart is willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work. Look in verse 22. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and, earrings and rings and tablets. They bring all this stuff in. These are all people who had a willing heart. Look in verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work. And so they're bringing this offering and, and, and everyone whose heart was willing, they wanted to do it. You, could, you couldn't talk them out of it. They wanted to do it. If you look over in chapter 36, it says uh, in verse 22, Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come into the work to do it. And in the last part of verse 3, it says they brought free offerings every morning. And notice what it says in verse 5. They spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded. The last part of verse 6, it says, So the people were refrained. Quit bringing stuff. <laughs> but you know why they kept doing it? Because their heart was in it. Because they wanted to do it. Because God was working in their heart. And you know what that is? That's the grace of God. That's God's grace. It's not, it's not that these are different kinds of believers. It's just that God's grace, as Paul said, by the grace of God I am what I am. Now where does this grace come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. If I see someone, and I know people like this, that as long as I've known them, 20, 30, 40 years plus, they've been serving the Lord. Nobody makes them do it. You know why? I just say it's the grace of God. That or they, you know, no, it's just the grace of God. That's all it is. And you know what? God, I was thinking about this verse today in James, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this. You know where that grace, how, how we qualify for that grace? I love the verse in James chapter 4 where it says, He giveth more grace. In other words, God just keeps giving people the grace. If I ever... Have you ever had this happen where you just, just from inside you, there is just a longing just to pray or spend time with the Lord or get alone and just, you know where that comes from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the grace of God. And I want more of that grace. I want to desire more to do what God wants me to do. I want to, I mean, by the way, let me just say this. I should have said this earlier. I didn't think about it. But if, I, if, the, if there's something you know you're supposed to do and you don't want to do it, you ought to do it anyway. 
If it's the right thing to do, do it. You say, well, I just don't feel like going to church, so I'm not going to go. No, do it. I just don't feel like witnessing. No, you're, I, think, I think we ought to do what we're supposed to do, but the good thing is, is when God helps us desire to do what he wants us to do, that's a win-win. Not only am I doing this work, that work could be witnessing to your neighbors, that work could be building the kind of home that you want, the family you want, it could, that work could be you know, singing in a music, whatever it is. I'm doing what God wants me to do, but the wonderful thing is it's exactly what I want to do. My heart is in it. I desire it. Now where does that come from? It comes from God. Let's go, I mentioned James chapter 4. Let's go there and we'll just sort of summarize and wrap this up. James chapter 4, right after Hebrews, right after Peter, James chapter 4. Let's just read a couple of verses here, uh, beginning in verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, I know what the word grace means. The Greek word is charis, and it means what God gives us. It's what God gives us that we could not manufacture on our own. It's what God gives us that comes from God. We don't deserve it. I understand. I think I understand what that means. So what I'm about to say, I don't believe is a contradiction. I don't think you can earn grace. I don't think you can merit grace. I, you know what I'm saying? I just don't believe that. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. But the Bible says this. The same Bible that tells me that the grace of God is a gift of God. The same Bible that tells me that says this. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You don't have enough money to buy an ounce of grace. You can't buy it. But God says that when we humble ourselves, which means we acknowledge that we're nothing in and of ourselves, we can't do what God wants us to do, we're not capable of pleasing God on our own, when we humble ourselves, God gives us grace. And you know what grace does? God get, grace gives us the desire to do what God wants us to do. It's all of God. It's all of God. And I think even the fact that we would willing to humble ourselves is, is God working in our life even to do that. It's not natural for me to put myself last. It's not natural for me. It's the grace of God that enables us to do that. It's the grace of God that enables us to serve others when we could be serving ourselves. It's, it's the grace of God. And where does, you know, where does that grace come from? It comes from God but it also comes to those who humble themselves and, and, and depend upon God and seek the Lord. I can't, I, can't forgive, I can't forgive my enemies. Hypothetically, I've never had an enemy, but I'm just saying, if I had an enemy. I can't, forgive, I can't love those who speak evil against me, but I can humble myself and say, God, I need you. And I can't. You know what God does? God gives us the grace to do it. 
I, I don't have the burden for lost people that I should. I don't witness to people like I ought to. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat terrified or in, intimidated about sharing the gospel with others. God, I need your help. But you know what? The more we humble ourselves and seek Him, God gives us grace. When God is working in our hearts, you know what He's going to do? He's going to give us a willingness. Thy people, here's the, go back to, I'm not going to turn to Psalm 110, but you know the verse. Psalm 110, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Imagine, you know, this is what it said about the churches in the New Testament in one place. This is a great testimony to God. Great grace was upon them. They weren't just coming to church because they had to. They weren't reading their Bibles to keep from having the guilt trip. They weren't just witnessing to people because people forced them into it. No, great grace was upon those people. Great grace. Desiring to do what God... Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And I... I know there's things about God's will that I may not know, but I know enough about God's will to know I can't do it on my own, Right? And you can't either. But the more God is working in our life, the more we're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, the more we're going to want to do what's right. Right? And that's what we want. Imagine a church full of people who just want to do what's right. They want to please God. They have a hunger for spiritual truth. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. And I, I've really had, as I've prepared, and as I've even taught this tonight, I've, I've thought about a lot about young people. Because if all our young people get is just a lot of rules, without understanding it's the grace of God that makes us want to do these things, then they're not going to really understand it. They're not going to really connect with it. But I'll tell you, what we, what we want is people who want to do the right thing because it's in their heart to do the right thing. They desire to do it. Amen? Let's bow our heads together, okay? With our heads bowed tonight, As you look inside your heart tonight, the best you know how, as you look inside your own heart, can you see the need for the grace of God working in your life? Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. That's, this is not just about more stuff to do. This is about God working in our life to where we want to do that which God wants us to do. And tonight, I want to encourage you, just between you and the Lord, just say, Lord, I want this. I want, I want your grace in my life, helping me not just to know what to do, but helping me have the desire to do what you want me to do. Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for the challenge of just walking with you. And I thank you that it's not just 
It's not just a lot of rules and regulations. It's, it's a relationship with you where you're working in our life. You're giving us the desire to serve you, the desire to please you, the desire to honor you with our life, the desire to bring glory and honor to your name, the desire to live the life that your word reveals to us. God, we thank you for that. And I pray that, Lord, as I said earlier, just like a, a warning buzzer or a check engine light, when that desire is waning, it's a warning, I believe, that we need to draw close to you and appropriate your power and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh.